It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? I met my next guest through Isaac Etter from Season 7, Episode 4 on this podcast. He spoke highly of her, and I was happy for him to make the introduction. Her name is Jessica M. Lucier. Upon initially speaking with her, I immediately knew we would have an enjoyable and insightful conversation. She and I take time in the beginning to explore both being born in the month of May when Mother's Day is also celebrated in this country. Jessica is an interracial, transracial, transnational adoptee born in Bogota, Colombia and has been devoted to helping other adoptees navigate their adoption journey for two decades. She works as the Manager of Community Engagements at Spence Chapin Adoption Agency in New York City, serving adoptees and their families by lending her expertise as an adopted person. In this episode, Jessica will share part of her adoption story and how her initial reunion with maternal birth family members was a deeply moving experience. Allow me to introduce you to someone who grew up on Long Island, New York, facilitated mentorship programs, which have been in existence since 2005, and is the former president of a Brooklyn-based mentorship program called All Together Now, Inc. As a part of the meaningful work she does, Jessica is committed to providing tools for adoptive parents and adopted children. She is an adoptee advocate working to create supportive spaces for adoptees and their families around the world. Well, hello, Jessica. So good to have a conversation with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm 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 also excited to talk to you. It's been really great getting to know you in these last few weeks and hearing your work. So it's an honor to be here today. Thank you. Yes, you know, Isaac Etter is who brought us together, and I really want to thank him for that. He mentioned you when we recorded for his episode on my podcast and and got back to me and, and introduced us. And I think yeah. that's um pretty special when I can meet another adoptee through an adoptee. So I yeah. just want to give him a shout out today. Yeah, Isaac is great. I actually just had the honor of being on his podcast this week, too. It's been, it's been really nice getting to know him, too. We've been in a few spaces together, and he's, uh, he's a force. Yes, so, yes, he yeah. is. Absolutely. Yeah, had a good time talking with him and getting to know him. Yeah. So. You know, I had an opportunity to listen to an episode you did with Melissa Gita. Is that right? Melissa Richard. On her podcast, Adoptee Thoughts. And I know it's been almost two years ago that you did it, but I learned so much um, from you. And one of the things that really stuck with me 
is when you described, you know, being born in May, May 9th is your birthday, and yeah. that being so close to Mother's Day, and, and how you described that. I, too, was born in May, May 3rd. So lately, I have been sitting with that. You know, what was that like, or how did that impact my birth mother, having given birth, and then Mother's Day being celebrated shortly after that? So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. You know, it's, you know, growing up, Mother's Day was a really interesting day for me because it always was just so close to my birthday. It's generally within at least five days of my birthday. Sometimes it was on my birthday. And it was a day where my family would get together on that Sunday. We would have people over to our house and we would be celebrating my birthday and Mother's Day together. And it was this day that I looked forward to every single year because May, like you know, is like the start of the nice weather and people want to get together outside. And so it was really interesting to kind of grow up knowing that your birthday and Mother's Day was almost the marker of people like being excited to get back together and and spend time together outside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, you know, and I was, I loved spending that day with my mom. It was never like, I never felt like I was just celebrating, you know, I had to share my day because it was for the purposes of being with family uh, when we would get together with, with our family, but I still had my birthday parties and all of those things. And I think when I was probably around 10, 11, 12, that I started really thinking about, well, wondering is there a Mother's Day in Colombia? And if there is, is it the same weekend? And this was a long time ago before the internet was, you know, something that was accessible as, you know, as old as that may make me sound. But I didn't have the answer to that question, but it lingered. And every year, as much as I would look forward to this Mother's Day with my mom and celebrating my birthday, that started to kind of link, like creep up into my mind when I got older, I think it was something that I struggled with because I started feeling that sense of loss for her. I started feeling that sense of difficulty in having to make a decision or having made a decision and then having a child so close to Mother's Day. Yeah. I think that also came with a lot of magical thinking about her considering me or thinking about that as a, as a difficult time when truly I didn't know if that was difficult for her or if she had just made her mind up and she was able to kind of compartmentalize her decision and what was going to happen after that. But for me, it was definitely something that as I got older and had more life experiences, I said, wow, that's a really tough day emotionally. And it started to kind of impact how I would celebrate or foresee that day for myself. Mm. Yes. And yeah. And being in reunion, I've, 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 you know, I found my family. I found my birth mother when I was about 23 years old at a very difficult time in my life. And when I then found out that it was the same day, they celebrate Mother's Day at the same time, having known her in that moment or having have met her and building that relationship, I still didn't ask. And I still, to this day, 17 years later, have never asked her what that was like for her. And maybe that might be because I'm afraid of the answer or Mm -hmm. 
(laughs) want to be mindful of her and and how she may process that and to see if that's something that can be a trigger for her. So there's a lot of complication that kind of still exists with not knowing, but still, but now knowing her, it's, it's almost an added layer of the unknown that I navigate. Right. Yeah. Mother's day, of course, father's day, there's a lot of layers. And then when you have them, so close together because you have Mother's Day and then a few weeks later, you know, you have Father's Day and then your birthday is mixed in there. And it's a lot of thinking about as a child, again, using that, you know, kind of thinking about magical thinking of what can it be or what when can this day be like for them or do they think of me on this day? And I remember one particular day when I was I think I was about 12 and my parents had taken me to Carvel on the day of my birthday. And I remember it was beautiful weather and it wasn't far from the house and they were going to go get me some ice cream for my birthday. And I remember sitting in the back of the car and really wondering if my mom, my birth mother knew that it was my birthday and wondered if she was thinking about me and wondered if she considers me on Mother's Day as one of her children, even though I don't think it was the same day that year, but just kind of, again, that feeling had started to really be present in my mind at that time in my life. And I remember sitting in the back of the car and just crying and very silently to myself and my parents looking back and asking me what was wrong. And I think it was the first time that I had said that out loud. And I can't imagine what it must have been like for my my parents to hear that and to say, wow, she's having these really deep thoughts and and considering this on a day that we're celebrating her and it's her day. I also knew, and I was thankful for the fact that I always knew that my parents were there for me to answer questions or to listen to questions or to listen to how I was feeling, even if they didn't have the answers for me. So I was able to be open with them in that moment and and share something that was really going on in my head. And I don't remember what they said. It really wasn't even about what they said. It was more about that moment of of having that feeling and, and having it materialize into tears and sadness and then having it be received so well by my parents and knowing that they were that safe space that I could feel those feelings with. Um, It was a very poignant moment. Yeah. I'm glad you had supportive parents. I am so happy to hear that. And, you know, as an interracial, transracial adoptee, that's pretty important because you, you are like missing your culture and you're, there's so much loss to, absolutely to your journey. So, well, wherever you want to start and however much you want to share about your childhood and, and just being uh, an adoptee. Yeah. I was born in Bogota, Colombia, and I was placed for adoption at three months. And so I came to New York. I grew up on Long Island uh, in a not very diverse neighborhood. I never really saw anyone who looked like me growing up. And I can't say that that was necessarily very important to me as a young person, because I don't think I even saw myself necessarily as looking different than the people that were around me, which I think, you know, might be a similar experience for some adoptees. But I was very lucky and very thankful to grow up 
with pride of being somebody who was from somewhere else and knowing where that place was and having that conversation be one that was had at home and that was spoken about with a lot of love and with openness. And there was a mindfulness of you may one day have more questions. And when you have more questions or when you want to talk about this more, we're here for that. And my parents always created that environment for me, which was a gift. They didn't have as many resources that exist now for adoptive parents. And, you know, even this conversation that you and I are having can be helpful to other people and shed some light on the experience of, you know, my story, but also other adoptees. And they didn't have those kinds of resources, but to, to understand that creating space for difficult conversations or just inquisitive conversations was important, I think was really wonderful. And I was thankful for that because it really did help me grow up with my parents. And it really did create a nice experience of when I would start to learn about my culture, as of course I hit college and experienced some culture shock and met new people and found people who shared the same culture as I did, I could bring that home to them. And they were very receptive of it. They were really interested in learning about Colombian culture. They were interested in eating some of the food and listening to the music and hearing more about what I was learning. And I was so thankful that I could share that with them because I'm also an only child. So (laughs) I didn't have brothers and sisters. My parents were they were my audience. They've always indulged me. I knew that. And I knew that this new part of my life would not be something that they would that would change that would change that feeling for them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I I grew up on Long Island and, and I grew up the same place that I went to preschool. I graduated high school from. And so I've been lucky enough to have a pretty constant group of friends. Then when I got to college, I, of course, had the culture shock that so many people, adoptees and non-adoptees alike, will have when they move out of their hometown and experience new people and new places and new, you know, new cultures and everything like that. I really started to find interest in learning more about my culture specifically because I put myself in spaces where I was with people who looked like me, but yet I couldn't, you know, I couldn't speak the same language, not not literally, I mean, literally and figuratively. I didn't know enough about my culture. And there were times that I would feel a little othered because I couldn't participate in conversations or I couldn't participate in celebrations and things like that organically because I was learning about these things in real time from the people who were willing to share them with me again then bringing them back home to my parents so it was a really college was a real time of discovery for me it was a lot of identity formation it was a lot of learning about my own story but also kind of learning about how to share it with others in a way that I learned how to create privacy and agency around my story But I also used it as a tool and ways to connect with people by being open about being an adoptee and not always knowing all the answers that people would ask me or not being able to respond to people when they had questions that were sometimes invasive or sometimes just too difficult for me to answer. I think I've heard you describe it as you felt like you were false advertising. Yes. People would look at you and assume something. Absolutely. And yet in college, I think you turn that discomfort into an opportunity to educate. I think that's how you put it. Yeah. 
That's well, that's great. what happened. Yeah. I mean, it's but but it's great, but it's also a defense mechanism. It's it's almost a trauma response, right? Because you're being faced with this expectation that the public may have of who you are based on how you look, how you sound, how you dress, and just how you generally appear. And that may not necessarily be in line with how you identify yourself. And so within that, there's a lot of sorting through and compartmentalizing of who am I? How do other people see me? And I have to leave space for those assumptions. I have to leave space for what this public perception of me may be and kind of create some sort of middle ground identity that gives you that opportunity to say, yeah, well, I may look like I'm somebody who speaks Spanish fluently, but that's because I'm going to, you know, because I was born in another country, but I wasn't raised in that culture. And what I think was was really interesting was that I would definitely, you know, I've, I've when I would speak on panels in my early 20s, it seemed as though my experience was that of being false advertisement. I still feel like that today. I mean, I think I've also learned a little bit how to close that gap of how I feel and how I identify and how other people identify me because of lived experiences and learning the culture, learning the language. Now I speak Spanish fluently. That came out of being in reunion and having to learn the language if I wanted to communicate with these people who I was connected to. And then, you know, my husband is also his first language is Spanish. So I learned a lot. And it kind of helped to close that gap a little bit of the public perception of me and who I actually am. I mean, I think that's something that I'm going to navigate for the rest of my life. But I think that's part of the experience of being an adoptee, of kind of code switching between identities and feelings and comfortness, comfortness, comfortability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. I just like how you, you turned, we'll say lemons, the discomfort of it all into working with adoptees and their families, adoptive families, yep. um, for for a while now. And so I do want to talk about your reunion for sure. So let's start there with your reunion, and then we'll go into the work that you do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. So I reunited with my maternal side of the family. So my birth mother and her her family, when I was 23 years old, it came at a very difficult time in my life. It came out essentially the most the most inconvenient time in my life. I was in college. Both of my parents had gotten sick. My mother had been diagnosed with cancer. My father had a brain aneurysm within months of each other. My grandmother was sick. It was it was a really tough time, but the stars aligned in a way that it created an opportunity for me to to connect with a private investigator who was sent to me by a friend of mine, a fellow Colombian adoptee. The private investigator said, send me the information that you have. I've been doing this for a long time and, and, you know, I know how to reconnect people and find people. And luckily, I was born in the same city that he was working out of. And it all was very almost kind of serendipitous because I had a good amount of information, identifying information. And he was able to locate my birth mother in, I want to say, about two weeks it was it was really I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't expecting it to be so quick. I also wasn't really in the right headspace to be doing all of this because I was navigating such such rocky, you know, such rocky times with my own parents and, and thinking about what was going on in my own life. So it was it was really uh, it was really interesting to to kind of navigate those first few interactions, which 
the only way we would communicate was through email through the private investigator and I would send some photos over. He would send photos to me. He would send over like a full write up of my birth family. I went from being an only child one day to being the second oldest of six kids. Wow. And at the time as a 23 year old, my, my older brother was too old, two years older than me who had not been uh, placed for adoption. And my birth mother had four other children. So I had younger siblings that were now going to have an older sister. And that was its own processing moment that I had to have because I don't know what it's like to be a sibling, let alone be a a big sister. Did they know about Uh, you? They did not know about me. Okay. No, they did not know about me. And so it was, it was an interesting time because of what was going on at home. I knew that it was really the right decision to say, okay, we've reconnected, but I need some time to be with my family and to see how things play out with my mom and my dad before I can make the decision to go down there. And they were very happy for me. They knew, they knew that all of this was happening. They had been a part of helping me find this private investigator or connect with him. And they knew that this was going on and they knew when I had found them and they were very supportive as they always were. And they had always said to me, if you ever want to go down there, you know, if you want us to go with you, we'll be there with you. So Again, having that sense of support and openness from them was really a comfort because I was juggling so much at that time. Um, And to know that they could even kind of switch gears when needed to, to just say, wow, this is amazing that you found them while they were going through their own struggles Mm -hmm. um, was really big. I waited a year and I went down there and I had this reunion that was nothing I could have dreamed of. There were so many people there. There were so many people who looked like me. I was I was walked into a room very dramatically by the <laughs> private investigator and given a speech and luckily had a translator there that could help me understand because at the time I did not speak Spanish. But have it be this really big moment of everything that I had always wanted, I had in that exact moment. And what that was, was seeing people who looked like me. Um, getting this experience of reuniting with people who were looking at me with tears in their eyes and very open arms. And I I knew how powerful and how special and how lucky I was in that moment to have that welcome. There were decorations and this very big, like, basically it was almost kind of like a, like a hall, like a party hall above his offices. Cause of course this is what he did. So he needed to kind of have that space there, but it was decorated. There were lots of signs of welcome and cakes and food. And when I got walked around to each person, I was told, Oh, this is your aunt. This is your uncle. This is your cousin. This is your brother. This is your sister. There was so much going on that I kept thinking to myself, well, where's my birth mother? She wasn't in there. And then he sat me down and made another big speech in front of everyone. And then he walked her in very slowly. And it was a moment that I almost don't even remember because it was like time stopped. Yeah. And I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, you know, I have very big curly hair and she had very big curly hair <laughs> and we had the same eyes. And we just connected like, like, 23 years had gone by and we had both been thinking about this moment. That was what that moment felt like. Mm. And it was incredible. There was, 
you know, there was also her, she's remarried and her husband's entire family was there, extended family, cousins. And, and it was like, I was being also in that same moment, readopted by her, her husband's family. It was just this feeling of welcome and you're back and we're here and we love you and we accept you, even if we can't speak the same language yet. Mm-hmm. It sounds so, like a beautiful reunion. It was. Yeah. It really was. And, and it's, that's not lost on me that that's something that I'm lucky to have experienced. Um, I, I think so too. I think that the energy kind of around you with support of adoptive parents Mm -hmm. plays a part. Do you feel like you were prepared? I would say that I was not, I, I mean, nothing, looking back, nothing could have really prepared me for how big that moment was or for what that experience of even just finding a private investigator and then having him reconnect me with family two, two weeks later was like, but what I will say is, I never could have imagined it any other way. When I was younger, I didn't have other adoptees in my life. I didn't have older adoptees in my life to give me any sort of perspective or understanding what the experience of adoptees is like. And so I just had these people who were out there who looked like me and who were waiting with open arms. And it wasn't until I got older And before I connected with my birth family that I realized that that's not the case always. And adoption and the experience of adoptees is far more complicated than I had ever imagined. But because this was the narrative that had been going on in my head for such a long time, even in considering what my own reunion could look like, now knowing the experience of other adoptees and having connected with other adoptees and adoptive families and birth mothers, it still was, this was the narrative that was in my head and it, it, it was better than I could have imagined. But that's why I say I, I feel very lucky. I feel like I understand how impactful and how powerful that moment was for me because that's not always the case for everybody. That's true. Um, that's true. So, But I think, yeah. and I'm glad you shared that because my perspective is similar in that the narrative, I guess, in my head was they want to know if I'm okay. That was what I would say to myself. They want to know that I'm okay. They want to know, you know, how things turned out. And and I'm happy to tell them they turned out fine. So I wasn't playing a, um, they don't don't want me or didn't want me narrative. Right. uh, As much as I was saying, well, we're here now and I'm going to do all I can at some point to reach them. You know, and they'll mm-hmm. and they'll be pretty glad to know everything worked out. Like that was the story yeah. for me. And yeah. so I'm glad you shared that because I do think I just believe in energy and I believe in in having people around us that support us and that yeah. uh, want our well being and I play a part in wanting my own well being and things mm-hmm. line up. I just yeah. I, I choose to believe that. So I'm glad you shared that. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, really my own thoughts of what knowing or reconnecting, and that was a very gray word, reconnecting with my birth family was for me growing up and kind of always having it be this open arms experience of seeing other people who look like me. I was, I was really unintentionally or unknowingly setting my intentions or 
manifesting what I was kind of going to experience later exactly. on in life. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's a very powerful thing. And, but that came out of, again, pure innocence of not having any contact with any other adoptees or hearing any other stories or being given the option to listen to the adoptee experience from anyone that was older than me, just because it just wasn't available to me at the time. And I don't know if I would have necessarily even thought that there were even other adoptees out there who were navigating some of these things, which is a great segue into the kind of work that I'm doing now. But I think that that disconnection from my community that I am absolutely so connected to now and so thankful to have left me in a state of everything is circulating around you. And it was very center of the earth kind of experience for me and kind of considering what my reunion would look like or what a relationship with my birth family could look like. But having that moment of walking into this room and seeing all of these people with big, big eyes and brown skin and curly hair was just, I was like, wow, like <laughs> something that I had always been so fascinated by, because again, not growing up in a very diverse neighborhood or with anyone who looked like me, even in the slightest bit, I was always fascinated as a child by meeting new friends or seeing their family and being like, wow, you look so much like your mom or you look so much like your brother or your sister. And people would just look at me and be like, yeah, that's my brother. That's my sister. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is this is a me experience because I can't just say that. I don't have anyone who looks just like me. And, and it's just like, yeah, well, we don't think about that because that's just what it is. That's all I would think about when I met new people. Right. So it was a really cool experience. And so that reunion was how many years ago? 17 years ago, I was 23 when I reunited. So about 17 years ago. And so you would begin working with adoptive families about that time? Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, a little earlier because I had been contacted by a social worker who worked for an adoption agency in the city, Spence Chapin, and had been asked if I would be willing to come to their offices and speak with adoptive families, birth families, adoptees, and share my story. And at that time, I had connected with other Colombian adoptees and had been learning a little bit more about myself and my my experiences as an adoptee, having more access to my paperwork and things like that. So I had created a little bit more of a community for myself mirrors around me, which put me into this space of being able to be found by a social worker and, and having them know that I had a story. So that was really how I started kind of unintentionally doing this kind of work, but by just sharing my story and, and hoping that my experiences could help give some foresight to what their kids may or may not experience, but just giving some insight as to what the adoptee experience looked like. Right. That was how that relationship started. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. They're in New yeah. York. Yes. Yes. They're in New York City and uh, they're one of the oldest adoption agencies in the country. And I'm not a Spence Chapin adoptee. Having that experience of being contacted by somebody who works with adoptees and their families and, and having feeling that that sense of awareness that my story could be helpful to people or could be interesting for people to hear 
was a new layer of my own experience as an adoptee saying, oh, wow, there's a, there's a space for this besides being in my own head of what, what I was experiencing as, as an, an individual. Now, do and so you, that was really powerful. Yeah. yeah. Do you work with just interracial, transracial adoptees? No, I do not. Okay. So that, so that I'll just say that that relationship starting out and speaking with families on panels and, and things of that sort then turned into me becoming a mentor in the mentorship program once it started in New York City through Spence Chapin and had been founded by a fellow adoptee. And I have been a part of that program since we started it. So that's about 20 years at this point. And I now oversee that mentorship program, along with all of the community programs that we have in place to support adoptees and their families through Spence Chapin within the New York City and area and and beyond, because we do have some virtual spaces. So it puts me in contact with adoptees who are domestically born, internationally born, lead discovery adoptees, people who were placed later in life for adoption, people who came from the foster care system, people in kinship families. So this work that I'm honored and and thankful to be able to do and work with people in my own community connects me with lots of people who have very different stories, but yet we all kind of share the same story. And that's, I think, the powerful thing about being with other adoptees is realizing that, of course, we have our differences, but we have one very big (laughs) similarity that that really does bond us. And it's uh, very special. Is that mentorship called All Together Now? No, All Together Now was another organization that I was a part of while I was also mentoring um, at Spence Chapin. But All Together Now was a mentorship-based community that was built for adoptive families who specifically lived in Brooklyn that offered a very similar format to their mentoring that the Spence Chapin program offered. But that was, again, specifically for families who lived in Brooklyn, whereas the the New York City Teen Mentorship Program, that is through Spence Chapin, which I had been a part of since its inception, was for families who lived in the New York City area, surrounding areas, uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and even beyond that. So simultaneously, I was kind of working with those two organizations in different capacities. Okay, I got it. Yeah, yeah. You have made some big contributions in like a short period of time, I think. That's great. What's been the most rewarding thing about being connected in the way that you have to the adoption community? I think it's hard to necessarily like pin down one moment that was or one thing that's been the most impactful or had the biggest, I don't know, left the biggest imprint on me. I think being a part of, of younger adoptees' lives who come into my program at 10, 11 years old and watching them grow and, and seeing in them myself, seeing in them the experience of so many other kids that I've gotten to know over the years and to know that they are now growing up knowing that they are a part of a community that is specifically in place for them and is being run by older adoptees who are in some ways kind of making up for their own lost experiences as a, as a young kid, not having somebody to ask questions to, to share feelings with, to be vulnerable with, and to be inquisitive about their own story with. They have this community and the wonderful thing that 
is that aside from that is that the adoptive parents are also given a community of each other and they have access to us as older adoptees who act as mentors and there's an openness there's a willingness to listen to understand that if they listen to the older adoptee experience exactly you know specifically from us Hopefully it'll give them some more insight as to what their kids may go through one day or the things that they can start doing now to support their child. And all of these spaces create a really promising environment for the future of adoptees and the future of adoptive parents to know that the community is there for them, that they can be a part of space that lets them be themselves, gives them the freedom to ask questions and to lean on one another in ways that I can say for myself specifically did not have. There is a lot of power that comes with finding community. And for our kids who join our program, I tell their families and I tell them all the time that I never really understood what community was until I found this community, until I realized that there were other adoptees out there who I could relate to and who I could talk to and who I could just listen to and hear my own story reflected back to me. And that was when I was older in life. Now these kids have it in their most formative years as kids navigating the world and understanding that they're that they have multiple identities, their own and what the public may consider their identity to be. And that's a tough thing to navigate on your own. And and luckily these kids don't have to. They have their peers, they have older adoptees and they have spaces that let them talk about these things very openly and comfortably. So that, that I think that's a lot of things. Yeah, they have <laughs> a, a lot, lot of answers to the questions. Yeah, questions specifically, but it no, really I know what all... you mean. Yeah, and I, I'm yeah. just glad to know that adoptees now, younger little people, yeah. have so many more resources available to them. And I'm really glad, like you were saying about adoptive parents listening to adult adoptees and our lived experience because I think that's going to be helpful and beneficial to them to do good parenting. Yeah, it is. But it also, it's, it's, it's great because it gives them direct access to adoptees. And there are so many adoptees out there like myself, like you having these kinds of conversations, opening ourselves up for you know the public to hear our stories and for fellow adoptees to hear our stories and to hear things in our stories that they can relate to. And now adoptive parents can listen to what the adoptee experience or what the experience of adoption is on those who were adopted mm-hmm. is like specifically from us and not through books or not through you know other avenues. So there's really a lot of power in that. And, and it's wonderful work. And there are days where You know, you can feel like your cup is empty, but then it's in these moments that you see the value that this work does and and hearing from people who said, oh, I've heard your story or, hey, my kid has been in your program or, hey, you know, as a parent, I've been able to be a part of the groups that you've created and it's really helped. And that is when your cup very quickly gets filled right back up and you realize that, at least for me, that aside from being a mother, <laughs> this is almost the most important and uh, impactful work that I will ever have the honor of doing. Well, it certainly is meaningful. It's definitely meaningful work, and I'm just glad you're a part of it based Thank on you. your lived experience. And yeah. I agree. I think 
adoptive parents having the community with the kind of programs you're a part of is probably one of the best things because they may not necessarily listen to an adoptee on a podcast, right? Or might not necessarily read a memoir by an adoptee. But having the community, a lot of their questions will be answered. And, and I just think they'll get good guidance because you said, yeah. I've heard you say, I've heard plenty of people say, adoptees are the experts. And, Absolutely. And so, yeah, you want to you go to the experts to get the best information. 100%. Yeah. That's the truth. That's the truth. And what, and what, a, what, a, wonderful, what a wonderful platform for adoptees to kind of share their stories and know that they are the experts. They are the one with the lived experience who, whose stories really hold a lot of value and uh, can make a lot of difference in people's lives. I think that's, that's another thing that I really try to uh, express to the people who volunteer in our program and, and the kids that come up and just knowing that, they're, that their experiences and their stories make a difference and they can be helpful. That's what makes doing this work really exciting because we get to meet other people who are doing this kind of work too and who are connecting and who are creating this community and making it bigger and more of an even open and welcome space for others to find. Very good. Yes. So anything challenging about being connected to our community? I think the challenge for me is that it's very emotional work. And I am learning as I get older and I will continue to learn this and hopefully learn how to better fine tune these things, but is, is how to in some ways kind of compartmentalize my experiences while also being in spaces uh, with other adoptees and hearing and hearing their stories because we are in a space where we get to hear a lot of very deep and emotional and personal stories from other adoptees, whether it be from the young kids that I run programming for all the way from ages zero, (laughs) way past adulthood or into adulthood, I should say. Part of my story or part of my experience as an adoptee is that every adoptee that I talk to, I believe very truly affects my own story. It changes my own perception of what it means to be an adoptee every time I hear somebody else's story. And I'm always kind of doing that work in my head. So I think that can be sometimes a hard thing for me is is to always be so deeply connected to the work. I wouldn't really want to have it any other way either. It's kind of learning how to give myself some grace in these spaces while also knowing that the work that's being done in these spaces that I get to be a part of and help to create are I mean, it's it's almost kind of like a dream job, you know, and I get to call this a job. Um, so I, I don't know if that's really a good answer, but. Yeah, I think it is. Um, and I can relate to it. Yeah. And, and I know when I have to do something different, like listen yeah. to maybe something totally not related to adoption. Yeah. So I, I do understand what you mean. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. I have, I have two little kids. I have my uh, two year old, two and a half year old, I should say, and a five and a half year old. And oh, I love those ages. <laughs> yeah, I know. They're so, they're so, so wonderful. And my daughter is in that age right now. She's the one who's two and a half and she's like playing a lot of dress up and she's, <laughs> there's a lot of like, a lot of like 
fun happening in my house. And it's a really nice way for me to, to also just kind of disconnect and connect with my kids. And I'm very thankful because I will say 100%, I believe that my work or my experiences as a mentor in this program have helped inform me as a parent as to what these age ranges can look like and how to anticipate my kids and how to and how to create safe spaces for them as a young you know as young kids and and from you know the time they were born all the way until they're going to be taller than me one day i'm very thankful that i've had this experience of getting to know kids and getting to know families because i really do think that it's made me more conscious and more intentional with the way that i parent i hope that <laughs> all of the kids that I've I've been able to mentor over all these years have taught me many many lessons, and I am sure that my kids have a lot more lessons to 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 teach me as I, you know, as I parent them. So, so your kids get to benefit from the work you do with other kids. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I hope so. I think it's made me a more patient person. I think it's made me more open to you know, understanding that kids really do navigate a lot of things kind of in silence sometimes. And it's not specific to adoptees. It's it's specific to adolescents. And I, I, I kind of anticipate that for my kids. And I spend more time, I try to spend more time listening to them and creating spaces for them to talk about their days and how they're feeling. And all of that has really come from being on the ground and, and growing up with these mentees as a mentor 20 years you know 20 years from from the moment I'm 23 years old I haven't been mentoring for I guess I have been have I not but anyway (laughs) I'm not 43 is what I'm saying but it's being very conscious and aware of how special those moments are that I get to be a, a part of people's lives and I kind of hold on to that for my own kids so I hope that my kids get to find mentors when, you know, when they're when they're young, too, and, and, and have that experience, because I think it's also a really wonderful gift to have been able to have mentors throughout your life and especially as younger people. Oh, mentors so. are mm-hmm. mentors are so important. And I to this day, I make sure I have a mentor, even though it may be virtual, you know, it may be through a, a yeah. book, you know, but that sure. it's important to have mentors in our life, I think, for for our whole life. I am so happy to have met you and getting to know you better. And I just, yeah, I appreciate hearing about all the work you're doing because I think you're looking at the big picture when you're working with kids, young adoptees, young little people, and also with the adults. Like you're, you're covering what I think is necessary to produce change, like positive results in adoption land so yeah yeah congratulations is there anything I didn't ask you in closing that you want to share no I mean you know I I feel like I know that you and I could probably talk for hours (laughs) and I hope that we continue to talk for hours even if the uh the podcast isn't going but it's been really wonderful and I thank you for doing the work that you're doing and for creating these platforms and spaces for adoptees voices to be lifted and to be heard and to, you know, to share this with our community and beyond, I think, I think stories and experiences and voices are very, very powerful and have a very lasting impact. And 
for those who are able to kind of carry those voices and uplift them. It's been really, it's, it's, it's just an honor to be a part of this with you and to now, you know, connect with other adoptees through our connections and to be connected by other adoptees that we really appreciate and respect and get to work with. It's, it's really just a wonderful experience. So thank you so much. Yes. I appreciate you saying yes to this conversation. Absolutely. I look forward to having many more with you. (laughs) It was an absolute joy to hear from Jessica, learning about her devotion to working with adoptees and that it has always been the driving force behind her work was music to my ears. She credits her passion as the reason she continues to create spaces for adoptee stories and voices to be heard by all. Jessica sharing the discomfort of feeling like false advertisement is an example of the aftermath when an adoptee has been stripped of their culture and true identity because of adoption. I love how she sees the opportunity to learn the language of her original country and other parts of her first culture since being in reunion. The support Jessica received from her adoptive parents is nothing short of a beautiful and loving gift. If all adoptees could be so fortunate to have the acceptance and appreciation from their parents of us desiring to know our first family. We can give and receive love from more than one set of parents. Jessica, I thank you for having this conversation with me. There are plenty differences in our adoption journey, yet I find myself connecting with you in powerful ways. I couldn't put words to what the month of May seemed to be riddled with for me until listening to you describe what it has been for you. I'll forever be thankful to Isaac Etter for bringing us together. He, like you, are looking at the big picture of adoption and how you both can be agents of change for how adoptive parents parent their adopted child. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community. Thank you so much for being here.